Let's read chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, this is Paul speaking, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's quite harsh so far. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former self, uh, the former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, and that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I sometimes default back to this, but some, particularly when I first became a Christian and I read pieces of scripture like this, my eyes were always drawn to the negative. I was always drawn to the things that it's telling me not to do. And I would read passages like this and think, oh, it's just a big old list of all the things that I'm currently doing wrong. And I would honestly feel a little bit discouraged by it. And if that is you, then I would encourage you, read it again and then read it again, and then read it again. Because what we can see when we read through this is there are so many incredible moments where he tells us, yeah, don't do this, but here's why. And when we miss out the why, then we are left with a bunch of things not to do. So just, it's just a by the by, just to encourage you. If you ever read passages like this and you're always drawn to the bits that are, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, read it again. There are always bits, and we're going to dig into some of those bits today. The first bit that I am really drawn to is where it says in verse 21, we are taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And the first point I'm going to make today is that's our benchmark, that's our starting point. We need to realize the truth. And interestingly, when you look up the word realize, It has two meanings, probably because one's a noun and one's a verb or an adjective or some kind of grammar that I don't quite understand. Uh, But realize, realize has two meanings. And the way I see it is that that's two steps. Because the first meaning 
is to become fully aware. So we need to realize, we need to become fully aware of the truth. But the second one is that we are to cause something to happen. So the example it gave was his worst fears were realized. They were brought and made real. And that's exactly what Paul's talking to us today about. We need to realize the truth of Jesus. We need to become aware of it. We need to get to grips with who Jesus is, why he came, and what he did when he was here, and what that means for us now. But we also need to realize it, make it real in our lives. We need to bring it into reality. So let's just have a really quick whistle-stop tour of chapter 1 to 3. We're going to recap what it is that Jesus, who, who it is, sorry, Jesus said we are, and what it is that Paul is recapping for us. So I'm going to read them real fast. Are you ready? We are chosen, not forsaken. That means we're never alone. We are marked with a seal. That means the Holy Spirit is in us. We are redeemed. That means we are brought back from the sin that we have in our lives. We are called to hope, not hopelessness. We are brought near. We have direct access to God. We are part of one body. That is the church. We are loved by God. We are children of God. We are given power. And that is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave that made him come back to life. We are given that power. We have it in us. We are seated with God at at his right hand. We are saved. We are rescued. We are his handiwork. We were created for good works, and he has that good works prepared for us. We are rooted and established in the love of God. It's a pretty good list, right? (laughs) So that is a recap of chapter 1 to 3, and it's not all of it. And so just refresh your minds this week, reread chapters uh, 1 to 3 about who we are. And that's why it's really important that we realize these things. We need to realize the truth about who it is that we are. What is our identity? Because it's from that place that everything else will follow. Paul goes on to say that we need to take off the old. And we need to put on the new. Now, that's, that's like a physical picture that he's creating for us, isn't it? So if you imagine for a moment, in fact, is there anyone here that works where, in a place where you have to wear a uniform? Anyone? Excellent. So uh, what job do you do? Nursing? Say it again. <laughs> excellent, excellent, okay. Uh, so in these jobs where you have to wear a uniform, right, you wear that uniform because it's what you do, it's, what, where you, it's who you are in that workplace. But if you were to wear that uniform outside the workplace, I know for, for lots of you, particularly for nursing, you're not allowed to, are you? You're not allowed to wear your uniform outside of work. Why? Because someone will assume that you're going to be a nurse in that moment and you're no longer insured, right? And the same thing will be true for your, your jobs. You are no longer that person when you leave that workplace, Do you understand? So you're taking off. When you leave, you're taking it off and you're stepping out into who you are when you're not in the workplace. Let's think for a moment about a prisoner. Someone when they're in prison, they get given particular clothes that they've got to wear, right? When they are released from prison, they don't still wear the, the same clothes, do they? They wear different clothing. So they are released, they are stepping into freedom and they leave behind what they were wearing in prison. Let's think about grave clothes for a moment. When you read the story of Jesus and when he was bound into grave clothes, they wrapped him up beautifully uh, after he had died. They wrapped him with bandages and they put him into the tomb. When they go back three days later to the tomb, what do they find? They find his grave clothes and not him. 
He has risen from the grave. He is seated with God in that moment. He no longer needs grave clothes. He no longer needs the things that would preserve his body because he's free. He left his grave clothes behind. That is the picture Paul is creating for us. Our former selves, ourselves that are not on this list, the behaviors that we have that we know God doesn't want us to have, that he wants us to physically take them off, actually physically take them off and wear this new self, wear it like a new jacket, something wonderful that you want to wear, wear it. He creates quite a, a, a long list of things there, doesn't he, of things that we're not to do. And it's almost like he ping-pongs an opposite game here. I don't know if you noticed it, but when we read the things that he's telling us not to do, he gives us the thing that we are to do. And it's a game of opposites. So, for example, verse 25 says, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So he's saying you have to take off telling lies. Stop doing that. It's no longer compatible with the life that you have just walked into with Jesus. It's like shoes that no longer fit you. If you continue to wear them, they're going to rub. They're going to create a blister. They're going to cut your feet. Why would you do that? In this situation, it's also going to help, it's going to hurt other people. Telling lies, stealing, all of the things that he's listing, they're hurting other people, but they're also going to hurt you. And so Paul's saying, you don't want to do that anymore. You don't need to because this is who you are. Take it off and put this on. We need to realize the truth and put it on. Our next point that we're going to is that we are to renew our minds. Verse 23 says that we are made new in the attitudes of our mind. Now, this is something that Paul talks about in many of the letters. It's something that in most of the letters that he writes to the churches, he talks about renewing your mind. And when Jesus walked around this earth, it was something he often did. When you read through the Gospels, he often challenged people's perspective. And that's why Paul, the servant of Jesus, is telling us again and again and again, renew your minds, guys. Shift your focus back to where it's meant to be. Renew your mind. But what does it mean? Uh, pastor of Life Church in America, Craig Rochelle, wonderful guy. He comes out with some incredible one-liners, and here's one of them. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. Let me just read that again. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. So just pause for a moment. What has your strongest thought been this week? Has it been worry? Has it been fear? Has it been things that haven't really made you feel good? That's the direction. If that's where you're placing your direction, that's the direction you're heading. Your, your life will move in the direction of your strongest thought. When you think psychology, we have a few of you in the room who are psychologists. I had to text one of you this week to get this right. Uh, when you think of psychology, you think cognitive behavioral therapy, okay? I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but this is one of the um, tools that they use to help in the area of thinking. But 
the way they describe it is an event happens and therefore a thought is formed. That thought turns into a belief and a feeling and then it turns into a behavior. So our thoughts turn into beliefs and then turn into behaviors. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? And so our behaviors that Paul's talking about, the things that he's saying, do you know what, take them off, that's how we do it. We realize what they are. We recognize them in our lives. We deliberately change the behavior. And when you change the behavior, the beliefs and the thoughts will follow. It really matters what we're thinking about. Our minds are so important. Isn't it true that if you are in a season of life where you are exceptionally worried about something or exceptionally stressed, maybe there's a big change happening in your life or you just don't know what is happening in your life, isn't it true that you start to feel physically unwell? You start to have physical symptoms of stress. That might be um, stomach problems. It might be tension in your neck and your back. It might be headaches. It might be uh, um, physical uh, symptoms of anxiety. Your heart's racing. You start to panic. That's how important our minds are. They can make our bodies feel a very physical and very particular way. It is so important that we think about what we're thinking about. In one of his other letters to the church in Corinth, um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says we need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. I love the imagery that Paul uses. He does it a lot. For me, this conjures up uh, a gatekeeper. So like a soldier. I always think Roman soldier. I don't know why. But a gatekeeper with a spear. That's what we have to be for our minds. We have to stand at the gate of our minds with a spear and decide who's coming in and who's coming out. We get to choose. We have a responsibility to choose what comes in to our minds and what we'll do about it. My mum used to work in Walker's shortbread factory. It was a great time. We ate lots of biscuits. Uh, And actually, my brother and sister also worked there, lots and lots of biscuits. Uh, And their job at one point um, was to work on the production line. And so you can imagine they're there with their white coats, their hairnets, uh, and there are lines and rows and rows of biscuits coming down this essentially conveyor belt, okay? And they're poised, ready like this. They have to have their hands poised and hovering over the biscuits because their job is to make sure every one of those biscuits is exactly what it was meant to look like. And they have a very particular way that that biscuit's meant to look. It's got to be the right color. It's got to be the right shape and the right size. It's got to have the right distribution of chocolate chips. Those are my favorite. Uh, And their job is to stand and hover over the top And the second they see a biscuit that doesn't quite line up to the way that it should, they weak it off and they put it into a rejects. Did anyone else work there? A few of you are laughing. Good, good, good. (laughs) And that was their job, standing there and just literally taking biscuits off. If they were a little bit too brown or not quite brown enough or just slightly out of shape or a little bit broken off, they would get whisked off and put into this tray the reject bin. Now, those rejects are what we ate. We got to eat them. 
Uh, but that's a picture for me of how we should act with our minds. Just standing there, hovering over each thought. Do you fit with Jesus? No, you don't. Off you come. Do you fit? No, you don't. Off you come. Do you fit? No, you're telling me that I'm not chosen and that God isn't with me, so you're not coming in. Off you go. You're going in the reject bin. Now, I may be oversimplifying things here, and don't get me wrong. There are medical conditions, mental health issues that would make this much, much harder, so excuse me for simplifying. But for lots of us, this is really, really helpful to be thinking about what we're thinking about. The fact is that we can give our thoughts to Jesus. The very reason he came and died on that cross was to absorb everything that was wrong in our lives so that we didn't have to walk around with the baggage and the hurt and the pain and the shame and the guilt that we walk around with quite often. So when we're taking those thoughts captive, we can give them to him. And there is freedom in that. In another letter that Paul writes to um, the church in Philippi, um, he says, Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think of those things. We need to renew our minds and train them into a new way of thinking. There's a bunch of resources available that talk about this. And so if you're sat there thinking, whoa, I really need to think about what I'm thinking about. I really need to get some more tools at my disposal for this kind of stuff. There's a whole heap of things that we can point you in the direction of. I'll name just two of them just now. One of them is a course and a book um, that Mercy Ministries has produced called Keys to Freedom. And this is a, a book that you can do by yourself. It has some uh, scriptures that you read every single day. But the idea is that you read it, you do the exercises, and then you talk about it with someone else. So the idea is, and that would be the heart behind our church and everything that we do, is that we do it in relationship with one another. And so this book is available. If you want to talk about it with me afterwards, then come and see me and I can point you in the direction of that. And, and if, if that's something for you that you would like to journey on, then please do come and talk to me and we can put you in touch with each other as well. And the other one um, is a book by an incredible lady. Some of them love her. Some of you love her. Some of you hate her. Joyce Myers. Um, yeah, you knew it was coming. Uh, Joyce Myers is very, very hot on this stuff, the, the importance of the mind. And her book, The Battlefield of the Mind, there are many other ones, is something that I read and reread probably every 18 months to keep me back on track. Um, and so I would highly recommend reading that. And again, reading it together, talking about it together. Um, and of course, best book of all, you need to be reading your Bible. You need to be connected and close to Jesus. He's the one that will guide um, your thoughts. And so we need to renew our mind. We need to realize the truth. And lastly, we need to redirect our focus. In five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says we are to follow God. And in some translations, the word used there is imitate God, which is really interesting. We need to be putting God out in front of us and be looking at him at all times to be able to follow him. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I'm not good with directions at all. And so I very, very heavily rely on Google Maps. 
if there's anyone else in the room that also relies on Google Maps, what you'll realize is Google Maps is highly dependent on you putting in the right destination and you having some kind of information about where it is you are actually going and probably concentrating quite deliberately in points where you don't know where you are. The trouble is I often just set my destination, then also plug in some music or an iPod, uh, a podcast, and then off I go merrily on my way, completely on autopilot, and find myself in the wrong place. The very first time I went to talk over at our West site, uh, when it was in King's Wells, I put in King's Wells Community Centre. It dropped down on the box, so I hit that, pressed go, listened to a podcast on my way there, had a wonderful time of worship on my way over, uh, and found myself driving all the way through King's Wells, all the way through West Hill, found, in, found myself in cults, in the middle of a little housing estate, in the back of someone's house, literally almost in their drive, and it said, you have arrived. I look around, I'm like, I definitely have, haven't I just passed Kings, Wells and West Hill, but I'm not that confident in my knowledge of places, you see. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe it's not where I thought it was, Kings, Wells. Maybe that's a different place. And now this is literally for half an hour, one like driving around all these little back streets. Apparently, there used to be a community centre there. And that's what Google had as community, uh, Kings, Wells Community Centre. Of course, I had to phone some people. Brian loves it because what happens is I have to phone him. Why, by love it, I mean he doesn't love it. Uh, because what happens is I have to phone him and say, okay, I'm not where I'm meant to be. Trouble is I don't actually know where I am either. Uh, I took a left and then there were some trees and maybe uh, um, I'm not really sure where I am. And so it's his job then to figure out where I am now and how to get me back to where I was meant to be. Uh, sorry, Brian. The point is, people... If we have not put the correct destination into our lives, we're going to go off on so many wrong roads. We're going to find ourselves in the middle of nowhere thinking, how on earth did I get here? When we put God as our focus, when we follow him, then we can't go wrong. When we spend lots of time with him, imagine a world, people, imagine a world where we all are reading our Bibles even more than we already are. Imagine a world where we're all spending more and more time with him so that this stuff that Paul is talking about is no longer things that we need to repeat in our minds like a mantra until we get it. These are things that we just know. We know that we know that we know who we are. Imagine that world for a moment. We would no longer live in a place of insecurity and fear. We would be true followers and imitators of Jesus. And from that place, people would know him because they would get to know us and we would be living and walking examples of Jesus. People would be curious. They would be asking us, how did that happen? How did you cope with that situation in the way that, that you did? That wouldn't happen for me. Many of you have probably already been in situations like that where people are questioning you. How do you do that? We need to set him as our focus. We need to renew our minds and we need to realize the truth. And before I finish, I started with a song. I'll finish with a song. What we're going to do in this culture is we're going to counteract the this is me self-identifying culture with who you say I am. 
The song Who You Say I Am by Hillsong is a really powerful one just now. I don't know if, if you feel that too when you're singing it. Maybe it's just me. Um, but the lyrics in that song are so important. John the Baptist said it's less about me and more about him. And that's what we want, a world where it's less about us, much more about him. And that means that we need to be who he says we are. And so let's just look at those lyrics for a moment. It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. We are going to stand and worship again in a moment, and we're going to sing that song. We're going to declare it over our lives this morning. We're going to declare it over our thoughts. We're going to declare it over the lives of people that we have around us that we know need it declaring over them. And we're going to really think about the lyrics that we are singing because they are truth. And that is the truth of Jesus. Shall we stand?